The Unbiased Podcast, Your Money, Your Future, is recorded at Exchange, 22 Bishopsgate, London, and powered by Copus. Hello, I'm Karen Barrett, CEO and founder of unbiased.co.uk, and this is the Unbiased Podcast, available to listen to completely free from wherever you find your great audio experiences. Unbiased.co.uk has a range of really useful calculator tools to help you plan your pension or mortgage. Head online now and try them out. Welcome to Your Money, Your Future, where I'm excited to be talking to a host of fascinating guests who have succeeded no matter what challenges life has thrown at them. Today, I'm really pleased to be joined by comedian, actor, podcaster, and radio presenter, Tom Price. Tom, hello, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. It's good to have you here. So let's kick off with your career. You've done such a varied and interesting range of things. What's been your career highlight? Oh my gosh, my career, I mean, apart from doing this podcast, obviously. That's exactly. Really bad, isn't it? Thank you. No, I think I've done a lot of things. I've done film, I've done lots of live work and, and podcasting myself. I think that uh, I went on tour with Stephen Merchant, who stand up, and that was wow. a lot of fun. We went around Scandinavia and did something like 30-something dates in 30-something nights. Uh, so seeing a great part of the world, hanging out with a comedy hero. How funny was he? He's really funny. Really funny. Yeah. True funny. Some aren't that funny. I know. As you're about to find out. But uh, he is a genuine wit all the time. And he really puts you on your top game. When I got back from that tour, I was, I was about... You were funnier. I was 10% funnier. Yeah. I was 10% funnier. And it was just, it was great seeing great audiences there as well around mm-hmm. that part of the world, all better English than us. Certainly me. So that was a big highlight. And then the other highlight would probably be doing a film with Clint Eastwood. Yeah, not a huge amount of filming, but I spent a couple of days with him. So you also do podcasting. Your podcast, My Mate Bought a Toaster, discusses your celebrity guest's Amazon purchase history. Mm-hmm. So which celebrity guests sort of left you most shocked? Well, there's been all sorts of this. I mean, we've done over 100 episodes now. I think that there have been very touching moments. I think yeah. the one that springs to mind is Susanna Constantine off of Trini and Susanna. She's a fantastic. She's got great Instagram presence now. She's a really great. I'll have to fan. check that out. She's a really good influencer. and She's a really great person. And she talked about, she opened up to me about her alcoholism on the podcast via her Amazon purchase history, which I was not expecting, nor was I. What was she buying? Legend of Amazon. extraordinary. She bought a book called How to Tell If You're Married to a Narcissist, because she felt like her husband was a narcissist. Mm-hmm. And this is an extraordinary turn of events. She bought the book and then decided that that wasn't the problem, that she was scapegoating him. And in fact, it was her and she, had, she was an alcoholic. And she talked about that. At length and incredible, with tremendous honesty. And this was really just from one Amazon purchase, we got into this huge conversation. So that that's was a, brave of her, isn't very, it? Very, very, very honest of her. And that's sort of thing she does. So conversations like that have been great. Also just, you know, shocked at uh, TV presenter Alex Zane buying eight pairs of Armani sunglasses one summer. He bought, <laughs> he bought, he bought Armani sunglasses on Amazon and kept breaking or losing eight mm-hmm. pairs in a summer. So Any toasters? In the yeah, history, how many? Oh, really? Yeah, and you get quite a lot of the jewelets. You get yeah. people who well, they yeah. go jewelet. I was going to ask about brand. Yeah, well, when they go all sort of middle aged or they settle down, they go up, they upgrade to the jewelet. That seems to be this sort of Accardo level toaster. Yeah. Right into finances now, and yeah. back to you. I believe you've had a few issues with a house purchase in Islington a few yes. years ago. 
So how much of an impact did that have on your finances? Tell uh, us about that. It sort of decimated them, really. So we bought a house, as you say, in Islington, very near to the Arsenal football ground. And we were massively pushed by the estate agent to go much higher than we wanted mm. to. We got a much higher uh, mortgage than we wanted to. Did you have a mortgage broker? No, because did we have a mortgage broker? I can't remember, actually. No, we, I looked into it. We charged. Oh, we charged loads okay. of money for it. Okay. And I felt like, thought, I've got the internet. Yeah, most most mortgage brokers don't charge. You did. Okay, it's £250. They saw you were an actor. Yeah, well, uh, surely. So it was about, this is about 2006 or seven, And so it, it went up and up and up. And luckily, well, luckily, this is before the crash where they would just give you more and more. I remember the first mortgage I ever got, I was sitting on a train and I had a deposit for a flat in Finchley. I think I had about 20 or 30 grand. So I needed to borrow like 180, 200 grand. I was earning 8,000 pounds a year at this stage. I was earning next to nothing because I was a penniless actor. Mm-hmm. I stand up comedian. And I phoned the mortgage guy at a well-known high street bank in South Wales. And he said, oh, they took it. And I went, oh, what are you after now? And I said, I need to get to about 200,000. And I said, what are you earning? 8,000. I just called that 40,000. I was on this train going, yeah, okay, cool. Okay. 40, okay. And he sourced it for me. Anyway, so this was, that was the flat before. So we, we plowed a lot of debt and uh, leveraged a lot of debt to get this house. And then disaster struck because it was an end of terrace house. And along the flank of the house was uh, previously a bakery. Mm-hmm. But as is the way with certainly around Islington, all these old businesses, uh, there was a joinery as well next door. They've all been bought up and turned into flats. And the guy who owned the bakery decided that he would project manage turning his old bakery into 10 little houses. Because they were so small, these houses, very small plots of land, he decided the best thing to do to make more space was to dig down. So this is all a lot, I know, I know, this is all on the flank of our house. And he just had useless builders. He had no insurance. He dug under our footings because an old Victorian house doesn't have mm-hmm. foundations, it just has footing. We, we were on holiday and came back and we just saw it from the street. Our house was like that. Shocking. There were, there were, it was horrific. There were cracks in the room. You put your hand through cracks in the room. Going to bed that night, I remember there was an enormous crack. Yeah, as we were lying in the house, dust fell down onto my dog's head. It was unbelievable. And all this money we plowed into it, we had no insurance, no proper insurance for this sort of event. And it was a nightmare. Yeah. What a nightmare. So if you were going to share some advice with our listeners about what not to do. I'd say get a party wall agreement before anyone starts. You keep an eye. Good advice. You keep an eye on people building anywhere near your house. Yeah. You know? So you just see people turning up in high vis jackets. Yeah. That's your that's your red flag. Camp outside. But yeah. it wasn't really your mistake. It wasn't my mistake, no. But my mistake was not being. Th- there was a lot of business going on, and I just ignored it. Yeah. I could see them yeah. doing stuff, and I just thought, oh, that'll be okay. Yeah. And because I was quite young, you know, I was twenty eight, and I think when you're younger, you don't feel you feel like it's an adult world. Now I'm an adult, I'm like, why? Well, I will go over. And since then, any yeah, situation. Yeah, get involved. Oh, you get involved. And it also, yeah, it got very, very complicated very, very quickly. They had to pay for it, obviously, but they didn't have insurance. Their whole bit, he nearly went bankrupt. This then happened, it hit the 2008 crash full on. So we nearly lost everything. It was very, very close. We had to move in out of our house for two years while it was being rebuilt, uh, while he was trying to find new money. Yeah. It was failing to pay the rent on our new house. So we were having to pay rent, so we were losing more money that way so money was falling out left right and center through no particular fault of our own apart from not being cautious enough and not being insurancey enough yeah think protect yourself think about the worst scenario and plan for that That's right yeah just glibly thought it would be fine yeah people will do bad things around your property that is going to happen you do need to be a little bit you know yeah. one man in his castle all that sort of thing and stand there I wouldn't say with an air rifle 
maybe a catapult. Be very protective yeah, about your asset. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about you became an adult in terms of, you know, now you'd speak to someone who's working around your property, etc. Where did you get your financial knowledge, you know, growing up? What was your parents' attitude towards money? Do you feel equipped? No, not? I, I didn't feel equipped at all. That that process has taught me loads about mm-hmm. how to search stuff properly, yeah. how to not assume that someone verbally telling you something is yeah. the True. truth. This is a really big part of it. You know, all these builders and surveyors came over and they'd all look, they're all middle-aged men who were all like, right, yeah, what you've got to do, they've got a helmet and a high-vis jacket on, they're telling you what you need to do is X. And that's not necessarily what you should do. You need to find, a, you need to find someone you really trust in that situation. I mean, I'm yeah. standing there in this front room of my house. My wife has a full-time job. I'm, I'm a comic. So I had lots of time to be there. And I'm standing there in my front room and there's 10 blokes all telling me what to do. And actually, they were all acting for the interests of the guy yeah. next door. Yeah, really good point. So in terms of the most useful piece of financial advice you've ever received or read, what would that be? I think the most useful financial advice that I've sort of picked up along the way, I can't really remember a specific moment when yeah, I've got it, yeah. is to really research stuff, is to really think carefully and, and don't assume, don't bury your head in the sand, I think is, is a really big one, which people do. Get it sorted out early on. Excellent advice. And yeah, and, and approach professionals. Like it sounds your mortgage broker or the bank, I think it was actually. Mm. So mortgage broker clearly looks at the whole market and yeah. works for you. Yeah. About a bank who wants to sell a product. But in terms of arranging that first mortgage, have you got any sort of thoughts about that? Did it all go through smoothly? Was the mortgage a good one yeah, in the end? It was very expensive one. It was a very expensive one. You know, okay. very high interest rate, but that was at the time was it i was at the time yeah um i think that again i didn't i didn't go searching around the market i just you do that thing where you have a relationship i think a lot of people have this you have a relationship with a bank and you just go with them oh they're the best ones we'll use them because the the family have always used them it's quite a middle class thing yeah we just know he's a good egg he's not he's after you know he's after income from you yeah he's being nice to you because he relies on your the whole family and everyone supplying with more work so i think you know having just a sense contradictory having just said Find someone who's got your interests at heart. You know, that is important and find someone you trust. But also, if there's someone you just assume is good, don't be afraid to look elsewhere. Yeah. You mentioned being a comedian, you weren't earning a lot at that time, and then you've gone on to do other great things. How do you manage, you know, when your, when your income fluctuates for mm. financial planning-wise? What, what do you do to sort of smooth out? Um, I think that you just have to really, God, it's so boring. You just have to budget stuff. You have yeah. to make a spreadsheet. Uh, and you have to work out what your outgoings are and know that you've got a cushion. I would always yeah. have a cushion where, you know, I think I was talking to my friend, the comedian Olivia Lee about this. We all said, you just need to have a 10 grand cushion. You'd have 10 grand in the account that is there for your, that is your, effectively your business that will pay you a salary from the yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember when I was first doing stand-up, I would always think, I'm okay for two weeks. That's what it was like. I'm okay for a month. And I'll be in trouble. And it, 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 as things got more grander and more successful, you thought that less than left. Well, the number went up. Yeah, it went from two weeks to a month to six months. And now I'm kind of... Your runway extends. Yeah, yeah, your runway, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. And then now I'm like, yeah, it's like a year now. I know if, if everything stopped tomorrow, I've got a year's worth of income. And, and that's fine. But it's a really hard one because if you're going to do something artistic, you've got to accept there's going to be a lot, a lot of time where you haven't got much money. I can remember yeah. getting the bus home to Kentish Town. Because it cost ATP. I can remember once a week getting a Starbucks. I can remember sitting in the back of the car with other, I did promotions for a while, giving out flyers. Yeah. And they said, so how much did you get from stand-up then? And I added it up. I was like, I do that gig and that gig and that gig. 
I reckon uh, about 220 quid a week. But you can feel confident now that you know how to budget and make money, you know, stretch. Yes. Don't you? You've got that, you've got that in your back pocket. And it always, always appreciate it. So yeah. no matter how, when times get good, you know, you've got that as a, a sort yeah. of base thing. Definitely. You mentioned your fellow comedian, Olivia. Is it like a comedian's club where they teach each other sort of the real <laughs> realities of life and managing mud- money in, in that sort of industry? I think everyone assumes the money is really tight. Money hasn't, slowly hasn't gone up for, for comics at all for 20 years. All these clubs are still paying what they used to pay. Oh, really? It's really hard. And they also c- can often take a long time to pay as well. It's another thing, chasing yeah. invoices, you know, when, oh. when you're owed money. I lost quite a lot of money when Jonglers went under as well. as oh, really? a college angle Jonglers. And yeah. I lost a couple of grand with them because they went bankrupt. And that was a lot, I mean, it's a lot of money. Obviously, yeah. back then especially, that's, that was huge for me, really big. So comics share information on which promoters are to be trusted. That's okay. very, very helpful. So if you could go back 20 years, what financial advice would you give yourself now that you're sort of wisened and experienced <laughs> in, in all these matters? Uh, I'd, I'd definitely say get a better pension. I got a, quite a rubbish pension in the end. What was rubbish about it? I just went, I did the thing I've just been saying you shouldn't do. I got called in by Lloyds. Yeah. I mentioned my bank. Is that okay? So shame. And they just went, here's your pension. Um, it's this much a month. Start paying in now. And it's done yeah. absolutely nothing. It's but at least you've saved into something. If you didn't go into Lloyds and yeah. even start that, maybe you wouldn't have a pension at all. Yeah, but it's tiny. And what are you going to do about that then? So my wife is an author. She's just had, she gets quite a lot of money from up front. She gets big advances. Yeah. She's been putting a lot of that into her pension because it's very, very tax efficient. Excellent. Big chunks into your pension. Yeah. It makes me feel a bit sick. She can provide for you and your Yeah, that's my tactic. Is that your plan? So now I think if I could go back, I think the advice would be, would be definitely to get a better pension and maybe not to spend 13 grand on a BMW Z3. But now you're in the 40s. Are you going to... Thanks for reminding me. Are you going to... Well, you're younger than me. Okay. It's still all right. Um, are you going to start focusing more on your longer term yeah. investments and saving? Yes. I've got like lifetime ISA now. Uh, well done. Yeah, thank you. My friend Beanie is a great financial advisor. Great, right? That's one of the things that happens there when you get, have kids. Yeah. You sort of tap into this world of grown-ups, all yeah. the other parents, your parent yeah. friends. So I had loads of really good advice. My friend Alex, incredible with investments and stuff. So I've got quite a nice um, array of investments now. I've got some shares. I've yeah. got some... Uh, I've got a lifetime ISA, my pension, I'm, I'm increasing my payments to the pension, but yeah. it's still my crap pension. But I'm not sure I, I know how to move it. I should do. Go to unbiased.co.uk, find yourself an advisor. Hi there. They will help. There you go. So you've mentioned comedy quite a lot and then it doesn't pay well. And yet you do other things, podcast, radio. Do you love comedy more than the other, you know, acting gigs, etc.? And do you give up your creativity and your passion mm. for making money is that a consideration uh, it happens sometimes along the way when you're doing when you have side hustles you'll get a job when you think i'll just do this for pure cash reasons for example little commercials although actually i say that i was the, I, little i did little commercials for like three years and do you know what the director was a comedy genius and we had so much fun making it so actually often you think i'll just do this for the money yeah and you meet great people and it's great a, experience it's really good fun yeah so you know what it's i think as long as my base unit is all i ever want to do is be trying to make jokes at yeah. whatever I'm doing, whether it's acting, whether yep. it's radio hosting. Just, I just like having fun and finding the funny and stuff. And as long as I'm doing that, if it's for a corporation, if it's for pay, if someone's paying me to write tweets for them, or I'm doing my own podcast for ATP, whatever it is, you know. Well, that's, that is a privilege I've got with having success now. Yeah. Whereas when you're starting, 
You do just save different. Where's the money? But so it's a balance. You you mixed. Totally mix. Yeah, know, totally mixed. The money making gigs. Yeah, and you can't really passion. put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you really you can't, oh. especially for IR thirty five. You can't do that. Right? Yeah. Because very good analogy with finance. Don't put your eggs all in one bowl. Oh, yeah. But it's like a bit in a pension. You know. It's true. Yeah. I mean, that's right. So, so you do kind of have to just financially spread yourself around, but also creatively spread yourself around. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing as well. You can get very quickly. You could spread yourself too, didn't it? So you've got to plan your time. Yeah, and you can't. If you're in a creative kind of thing, you can't make yourself do 19 things in one day. You have to look at your diary and go, "That is my day. That's this one thing today. Is that is my day?" And I'll do a little bit of writing. That's it. Whereas in the past, I'll be like, and then I'll do that, and then I'll do that, and then I'll do that. And then you just, you run out of steam by Wednesday. And so do the, do the jokes come quick and fast? Or is that like you have to spend a week thinking, right, I've got to be funny in this week and get good material down? Uh, the jokes, I think once you get up and running, they come pretty thick and fast. Yeah. Once you start writing and you get into that headspace. If you have a bit of time off, quite interesting. It takes a while to... You mentioned uh, your, your funniness quotient went up after hanging around with Stephen <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um Do you find it you... If you bounce off people, oh yeah, funny like it just explodes. Yeah, hilarity. It's all about the chemistry of who yeah. you're working with and who you're hosting with, or who your guest is on the show, or yeah. um, it's all about the chemistry. Who would you like to work with? Have you got any names in mind? Um, who would I like to work with? I really love. I've had her on the podcast. I love Mel Gadroich. I think she's fantastic. When I interviewed her, we just had a very similar sense of humour. She's yeah. just delightful to bounce off. And I, I, I think that. The people who have that real joie de vivre and that real kind of life affirming approach to stuff. This yeah. is all silly. We're not doing open heart surgery here. We're just having a laugh. And yeah, she's brilliant. Dawn French as well, similarly. But it's, you know, it's what I love is my line of work with I interview lots and lots of very famous people and often for only 15 minutes. And you very quickly get a sense of someone, you know, and you just think. So I interviewed Daniel Radcliffe the other day and it was one oh. of the most delightful interviews I've ever done. Because when they've got the right chemistry, he's funny. Yeah. Made me funnier, made everything go <laughs> better. And yet you go into someone who doesn't have that energy, and the whole thing just goes blah, 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 blah. job done, not yeah, and job done well. No, exactly, exactly. So it's much, you know, you have to not always look to yourself, look to your surroundings, people, where you're writing. That's often a big part of it. Great advice. What about your upbringing? How did your childhood influence your attitude towards money? Mm. So, well, I grew up in a very sort of middle class thing where so my dad died when I was 13 mm. and he didn't leave a will I remember very clearly feeling like that was something that was very easily avoidable and it goes back to what I was saying earlier on about making sure you plan making sure you think about the worst and enjoy the best so I think that that was a big financial lesson obviously an emotional disaster as well for me and it's a bad time for that financial lesson to be taught isn't yeah. it it's like at the worst possible time you don't way. need that lesson to come along. It compounded the pain of everything yeah. to get in emotionally to feel like our oh, house is in danger. Uncertainty. Uncertainty. So I think that that was a big lesson for me is to make sure that, that you plan for that stuff. In terms of, you know, my education financially, it was so rubbish. Nothing at school. No. And you must hear this again and again yeah, and again. We do. What on earth aren't we told to do certain things? It drives me mad. I had no yeah. idea about tax. Yeah. Until I was lucky enough to get a great accountant, who I've still got 20 years later, who sorts me out. But I had absolutely not a clue. Yeah, they definitely should do something at school. I've got three kids. They come home and show me different pieces of homework. And I'm like, what on earth is the use of this in the real yeah. life out there? And Give them some financial education. How many times have I played three blind mice on the recorder in the last 20 years? I don't know how many. I don't Lots. Know. Seven, eight, no. Like, it's, it's zero. It's just so obvious. I'm sure other countries do, but we just don't seem to do it in this country. And going back to what I was saying as well earlier on, that feeds into this financial taboo that we've got. 
yeah. we are so repressed. We in this country, anyway, this middle class, especially don't talk about money. Don't put any numbers on it because it's vulgar. And that is damaging. I think it's interesting because out on advice, we've seen thousands of people looking for an advisor and you won't believe how many people get married and very quickly have a family. And that is the epiphany of, I need life insurance. We're going to move from a flat to a house to get the buggy in the front door. Yeah. I then need a mortgage. And suddenly, so the, the financial attitude, as you mentioned, grows up. Almost overnight. Common and typical. But it's really interesting. Your financial attitude uh, comes to life. I wouldn't even say grows up. It appears out of you nowhere know. like a genie at the bottle. But it often happens to people when they're in their maybe their early 30s. And the thing is, to make a real difference, you need to do that in your early 20s. But I wonder if this generation now, in their early 20s, are different with money because life is, the world is a very different place to how it was when I was 22. They're definitely engaging with that budgeting apps. And now bank accounts have apps on phones and categorised spending. So I definitely think they're more aware of where their money goes. But I think they've got different pressures with cost of living and property ladder and other things. They're very young still, 40, plenty of time to... You know, compound those pension oh, investments. Talk, keep talking. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. I did have a question just from your point of view. How do you think it's best that we or others get others involved and engaged in managing their finances? Because I like to think that, you know, you shouldn't be scared of your finances. You should control it. And then, you know, you can be confident that you're going to live the life you want and use money as a tool rather than be scared of it. Have you got any thoughts on that? The biggest thing about all of this is it's, it's, it's really strange when I, talk to other actors we talk about our money really frankly i've just done an advert what'd you get for that i've got, got eight grand okay good what are you going to do with that Actually, other industries don't do that and my wife is always like what is happening she has to leave the room you know my fr- i've really good friend really? Harry. he's an yeah exactly he's an american actor and he comes over to the uk and he will say i've just been doing this show in the states what, what are you getting a week what's the weekly rate over that okay good and what's happened to that how much mm-hmm. did your agent get and how much did you take that sharing information so, so i think the best thing you can do, yeah. another thing that happened to me is working on one of my jobs, and, and well, I don't have to be careful how I say this, but um, talking to other people doing exactly the same job as me, who yeah. may not have been the same gender as me, yeah. discovering they were being paid £80 a day less than me. I'm so shocked and surprised. Can you believe not. it? But they then had that conversation with, and it was fixed. And that happened because I, I, I bring this sort of, it's an actor's thing. We talk about money to each other all the time. Yeah. And I think that if you start doing that with investments and with pensions, well, how much is your pension pot? Yeah. So how is she putting in a month? You start to get a sense of it because at the moment, everyone's in their own little world going, I put £150 in a month. Is that another thing? And other people will say, no, I put £700 in a month. Yeah. So I think if people start having that conversation, That's brilliant. which is quite interesting, it's not vulgar. Have that chat. Yeah. Yeah. Really powerful, I think, to share that information. So lastly, Tom, I'm going to do five quick fire questions. Are you ready? Are you a saver? Is that one of the questions? No, 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 it's not. So (laughs) that's not one. Are you a saver or a spender? Saver. What's your best investment? Well, ironically, after the disaster, about after two and a half years of paying the house, obviously. Yeah. It earns more than me. Way. (laughs) And your worst? My worst investment uh, was possibly... (laughs) <laughs> probably the BMW I spent it I bought I had a job on MTV presenting a dating show and I spent my entire fee for series one on a car my husband made me buy an M5 really for him back in the day right. and I was like what is this it's a monster waste that we guzzled fuel cars are bad investments well, bad. I don't know about vintage ones houses good that's how yeah. I see it yes that's just my personal opinion bricks not wheels last one what was the last thing you bought Wow, the last thing I bought. Okay, here's an interesting story. It's it's a good one. This is a scam that's going on at the American Embassy right now. So I just had to go and apply for a visa because I'm going out to report on something later on in the year. And when I turned up, the first sign of trouble was a sign saying no laptops. 
right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I've had so much paperwork. I've had so much preparation. I've had a meeting with an immigration lawyer in the States getting me ready for this thing, right? No one has said to me, you're not allowed laptops in the building. Because I was like, I've got my laptop while I'm waiting and do some writing. So I'm at the door about to go in. You finish your time in this place. Queues go on for miles, miles, miles. Yeah. And they said, here's the thing. You can't take your laptop in the building, right? But there's a cafe over the road. We've got to deal with it. You can give them your laptop and they'll look after it for you while you go in, right? So you go in and all these baffled people who are going to the American embassy are in this crappy little cafe. It's, it's a scam. It's, a, it's, a, it's outrageous, right? It's, it's, it's a heist. These guys, so it goes, here's 10 pounds for me to have your laptop and you get free coffee at the end of free coffee. Thanks. So the last thing I bought was a safe space for my laptop. And I go back over to the American embassy and really lovely guys there, really nice guy on the door. He was like, I send so many people over there. So I've worked it out. How much they make? He said every day they're making between two and three thousand pounds because it's 10 quid every time because people are not told in advance not to bring a laptop. You know what you need to do for your pension? You buy a little building next. I mean, right. I'm often. You'll be able to retire in a decade. I'm do it now. Why don't they tell you before you go? Mm. Interesting, interesting. Tom, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining us and Love sharing that. your finance experiences with our listeners. For our listeners, it's time to educate yourself about money. Tom's experience shows we can all benefit from more knowledge and insight, especially when it comes to property. So number one, take stock of what you have. Number two, read up on the market. Keep yourself informed. And three, plan, plan ahead. Head on to unbiased.co.uk for information, tools and calculators that will help you save for your first home, your next home or even your forever home. Thanks for listening to the Unbiased podcast and today's guest, Tom Price. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Please subscribe to our show, give us a five-star review and tell the people you care about to have a listen. It's a great idea. Thank you, Brian. If there's a six-star option, maybe do that too. Yeah. Really yeah. go for it. And leave a comment. Oh, they love the comments. It's up through the algorithm. Do go on the comments, guys. Big fan of the comments. Remember, don't pay the price for not having taken advice. Making high-quality podcasts like this takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire Copus. With our white glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews like these and build relationships with your guests. We take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a brand new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you would build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe 52 new relationships could grow your business? We do. Why not contact me today, jason at copus.com, J-A-S-O-N at K-O-P-U-S dot com. And let's talk.